We'll begin with Today in Rock History, May 22nd, Robert Zimmerman. You know him better as Bob Dylan. <laughs> of course. And this day in 1954, celebrated his bar mitzvah. Mm. Bruce Springsteen, along with his first band, the Castiles, recorded their first and only record, That's What You Get. It was never released. That That's was 1966. So 66, he would have been, what, 17 years old? Yeah, Born exactly. in 49? Exactly. A year later, the Monkees released their third album, Headquarters, first LP on which group members, they fought for and got an idea in their mind to do some songwriting. Right, exactly. And some instrument playing. Before that, they were relying heavily on studio musicians and outside songwriters, which worked for them. But this album worked for them as well. Headquarters went on to become the group's third consecutive chart-topping album, on the Billboard 200 chart, selling 2 million copies. I loved Headquarters. That was a good album, what'd you think? Uh, absolutely, and um, I did my little bit for the Monkees in the Hall, and um, they didn't have a long career, but it, it, it shined, it burned very bright. <laughs> yes, it did. 1970, Elvis Presley signed a three-picture deal with MGM. There you go. 1992, Bette Midler was the one and only guest on Johnny Carson's final episode of The Tonight Show. I remember, remember that. that. I, I definitely remember staying up for that and watching uh, him say goodbye. And uh, That was an institution I don't know if we'll ever see quite anything like that again. It's hard to last that long. Jay Leno actually made an effort to, to last that long, but I could never make an effort to stay up. Right, and I, and I don't think he ever touched the nation's soul like Johnny no, did. Yeah. yeah, and Johnny Carson would just flick away any competition from Joey Bishop <laughs> to Dick Cavett Dick or Cavett, whatever. sure, sure. Birthday, Sir Lawrence Olivier, born in the States, May 22nd in 1907. Oh, boy. Oil tycoon T. Boone Pickens, born in 1928. Is he still alive? Uh, no, Frankie, actually, he died about four years ago. So. Pianist, conductor Peter Nero, 1934. There you go. Bernie Taupin, refer to him. Mm-hmm. Bernie also co-wrote two other number one hits for other acts. Can you name them? I never realized that, so no, I cannot. Heart is one of them. Oh. They're a hit song, These Dreams. Sure. And he co-wrote uh, your favorite, We Built This City. <laughs> the starship. <laughs> and he admits to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was born in 1950, so Bernie turned 73 today. Wow. What would our life be musically without him and Elton John together in the 70s? Uh, as, uh, as you'll find out, it wouldn't be as good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, Dave Grohl of Foo Fighters said about Zeppelin, they said, if it weren't for Zeppelin, there would be no heavy metal. And if there were heavy metal without Zeppelin, it would suck. Yeah, it'd pretty much be like uh, Black Sabbath. Yeah. Everything would be Black Sabbath, yeah. And the hair bands. Morrissey, exactly. you know, the, uh, Morrissey is of the group of the Smiths, was born in 1959. That makes him 64 years old today. Right. Frankie, time for soon-to-be hits. This was from the week of May 22nd, 1975. Good year. Remember Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Who could forget it?
It started out at number 96. It was only, uh, it only reached number 68 then, but then it was re-released in the fall and made it all the way up to number 12 as a live recording. Right, exactly. And Paul McCartney did the same thing with Coming Up. Remember, the sure. studio version wasn't quite as lively as the live version, which went to number one. 1975, The Rockford Files, number 93. Oh. One of the songs of the summer. Yeah, I like that one. Made it up to number <laughs> uh, number 10. That was uh, Mike Post who did that. He was also the orchestra leader for two shows. Can you name them? Rockford Files? Uh, no, no um, variety shows. Oh, variety. No, I don't. Andy Williams. Oh. And The Mac Davis Show. The Mac Davis Show. Mike Post also wrote Somehow the- <laughs> I missed that one along the way. <laughs> <laughs> that was back when everybody had one. The Captain and Theo, the Carpenters, John Denver. had one, yes, definitely. Oh, the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch, yeah, had them. Yeah. Uh, Post also wrote the theme, among others, to Magnum P.I. and Hill Street Blues. That's right, absolutely. He was kind of the king of the... Uh, the, the, the theme song? Theme th- song for quite a while. BTO had Hey You. I think that was their last hit. That started out this week in 1975 at number 85, and no other singles would chart any higher because this one only went to number 21. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, that realize was it that. for them. I thought it was a little bit higher than that. Not in Love, talk about Song of the Summer. Yeah. It was kept out of the number one spot by like one of these nights and the hustle and listen with them. <laughs> there were a lot right. of just songs that were just a little bit better because it spent uh, three weeks at number two. And that was 10CC. Kind of a neat song. It's a wonderful song. You know what 10CC actually means, don't you? Mm, something about motorcycles, maybe? Well, since this is a family-friendly <laughs> show, we'll let you look it up uh, right. on your own. And right. our listeners can as well. Rockin' Chair, Gwen McRae, George's Wife, 1975, went to, uh, went to number nine, actually. I never knew that was George's wife. Yeah. I'll be darned. He had that big hit just the year before. Yeah, sure Rockin' Chair started out number 83, and Frankie Valley's hit Swearin' to God at 82. Okay. Hit number six, the follow-up to the number one, My Eyes Adored You, which was produced by Bob Crew, who That's did right. so much work with the Four Seasons and many other groups. Sure. Frankie, I like our brand new category. It's called cover versus cover, or perhaps cover versus original. But uh, right, for our purposes, right, right. cover versus cover, you kind of get the idea. 
This song is called Get Ready. It's The Temptations versus Rare Earth. And when yeah. I heard the Rare Earth version on the radio last week on Sirius, I could have sworn it was The Temptations or Four Tops. <laughs> and I looked it up. No, it was Rare Earth. Yeah, wow. absolutely. So The Temptations took this song to number 29 in 1966, written and produced by Smokey Robinson. Sure did. Rare Earth version went top five. Four years later... Hit number four, that was their biggest hit. But I can't tell the difference. They're both good, and I'm going to leave it up to you to tell me which you like better. just said these tunes were recorded only four years apart but it kind of seems like so many more when you think back of the temptations 1966 version you think of those black and white tv clips with the band dancing in choreography time matching suits and performing just the latest in a long line of soulful motown hits it is sublime a reflection of a different time fast forward to 1970 and the world had changed so much Riots, assassination, and of course the Vietnam War had changed the world, and this was reflected in a rougher rock version. Interestingly enough, both were released by Motown Records. As Rare Earth, an all-white band was Barry Gordy's attempt to branch out into the emergent FM market. And although I'll give Rare Earth points for pure chutzpah value of their recording, this face-off goes to the Temptations in a knockout. <laughs> <laughs> As it should. The Temptations were one of a kind. Yeah, they were. Uh, in a group by themselves. Still got them confused with Four Tops once in a while. Absolutely. And, you know, it, I, I remember that song being such a bigger hit. But I, like you said, it, it, it wasn't. It was not a big hit. But uh, um, just it sticks out as one of those, like I said, many... Um, Temptation songs that kind of just all in a row there. Yeah, and you alluded to it. 1966, things were starting to happen. They were starting to crumble, going sideways, if you will. Right. But 1970, right. so much more had happened in that four year exactly. span. Exactly. It was it was like a different world. Really Not to was. mention the advent of FM radio, so you could do sure. a 29 minute track or something because they had no commercials and very little inventory. They right? weren't going to play that on Wixie. No. <laughs> <laughs> but a radio friendly, Wixie friendly, 229, 242. That's perfect. That's it's exactly right. Exactly right. You can play yeah. either one of them. 
It's One Hit Wonder Time, Frankie, the Soul Survivors. What a great name for a group expressed way that, to your heart. That is a fantastic one. <laughs> Started to shower you with love and affection. Now you won't look in my direction. On the expressway to your heart, that expressway, not the best way. It's much too crowded. No, it's much too crowded. Another one of the many, many hits written by the duo of Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. That's right. Philadelphia Sound reached number four in the Billboard Hot 100 in early November 1967, while To Sir With Love topped the charts. Remember that movie? I absolutely do. That was a a great, really good movie, and it's a fun song, too. So, uh, Expressway to Your Heart, number three on the R&B chart. Several other versions have since been recorded, including a cover by the Blues Brothers in 1981. That's right. And um, the Soul Survivors do get a name drop in uh, Steely Dance Hey 19. They do. Yeah. The Soul Survivors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their follow-up, though, Explosion, still did okay. Number 33 in 1968, the early part of the year, but according to our one hit wonder category, you know, not quite. <laughs> it needs to be like 25 or better to for us to consider it a quote unquote hit. Hit, yeah. Frankie, it's time for two should get in. You have a good one. I didn't think of these guys. Yeah, and uh, I don't think of them either. But Paul Revere and the Raiders. If you just looked at their discography, you would say that Paul Revere and the Raiders were a successful rock group of the 60s and early 70s, charting 15 top 40 singles, including great garage rock tunes like Kicks and Hungry, and that great early 70s number one song, Indian Reservation. They recorded for Columbia Records, and three straight gold records made them the biggest seller on the label in 1967. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's higher sales than Mr. Bob Dylan. But of course, it was never just about the music. When the British invasion was in full swing, the Raiders were put front and center as, hey, America still rocks, (laughs) hence the name, and most particularly, their Minuteman look. And they were one of the first groups that married their look their music, and national TV appearances. The band regularly appeared on Dick Clark's Where the Action Is, Happening 68, and It's Happening, even co-hosting the last two shows. 
The Ed Sullivan Show and even a guest shot on Batman <laughs> ensured that they were probably the most seen band in America. One can certainly see the seeds of MTV with all these early exploits of the Raiders. For all these reasons, music and media influences, I would love to see this quirky American band inducted in the hall. One of my favorites oh, as well. Oh, yeah, another great one, yeah. Imagine if you took the Monkees and made them just a studio group, but took Paul Revere and the Raiders as the Don Kirshner group that was on TV. Right, right. I wonder what uh, what it would have looked like. Would the Monkees have been taken more seriously as a recording group? Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps. And Paul Revere and the Raiders might have been more of a campy, you know, yeah, the TV guys yeah, with and, the uniforms and, and all And they that. were definitely campy. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all great tunes, Hungry Kicks, Him or Me, and many oh, others. Just, just lots of good stuff. And, um, you know, I I forgot until I looked at them up, you know, how many really good tunes they had. Yeah, and then Mark Lindsay on his own with sure, Arizona. Sure, sure, The group was formed in Caldwell, Idaho. I did not realize that. moving to L.A. in the early Talk the about American, wow. Yeah. All-American, That's great uniform, great look, great tunes. Mm-hmm. Mine would be Three Dog Night. Three number one hits. Another one, yes. Joy to the World, Mama Told Me Not to Come, Black and White. There was no bigger recording artist. Uh, they were making something like a couple hundred thousand dollars a week, live performances. Yep, yep. Now, you said many times on our podcast, uh, you know, they left it up to the great songwriters like Paul Williams and uh, Chet Atkins and those guys to write their tunes. Hoyt Axton, yeah. Hoyt Axton. Just an old-fashioned love song playing on the radio And wrapped around the music is the sound of someone promising they'll never go You swear you've heard it before as it slowly rambles on 
Six other songs went top five, 21 top 40 hits in all. That's Frankie. incredible. <laughs> in, in such a short period of time, yeah. too. But you couldn't, you, the, all the songs were great. You could even, you can pick them out and they all sounded kind of different, didn't they? And they they won awards. They won Grammys. They they were, it's, it's hard to remember, but they were huge. They were great. Great string of hits for only from 69 to 75. Then what happened was, after Eli's coming, Family of Man, Celebrate, one old-fashioned love yep, song, Pieces yep. of April, Shambhala, and many more. Uh, their record label, ABC, kind of got sold, and the, it was getting to the mid-'70s, and they weren't as hip as they used to be, I guess, right, according right. to their new record label, and things kind of went sour for them as a recording group. But they're still, the fellows left are still on the road these days, and once in a while you'll see them come around to the magic coronation moon dog ball or if they still have sure, that or whatever yeah, yeah but yeah. for me three dog night for you paul revere and the raiders right good and, stuff uh, just one more uh, little tidbit on um how big three dog night was when i when i was in high school literally every person's house i went to had that captured live at uh, uh the forum Mm-hmm. That was their live album. Everyone had that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and back then, there weren't a lot of greatest hits packages. No, there out. weren't. Uh, no, there weren't. The only one I had was uh, our Association's Greatest Hits. It was like 1970 I got a hold of right, that. But right, There weren't a lot of those, were there? All right, Frankie, Hall of Fame albums. We kind of made a case for, you know, this should be a wall of uh, just the albums that with the groups that may may not be in the Hall of Fame, but Boston and mine is going to be Year of the Cat and just albums that you can see on a wall, not from floor to ceiling, but that you can actually read invisibly, uh, visibly read, and then maybe punch up a cut or two on the wall. You can download it if you want to for a buck or whatever. But wouldn't that be a good idea? Absolutely. We've said that now for a couple of years, that why don't they do something like this? And of course, we've, been more than happy to give them some ideas <laughs> well yeah and they just uh, announced a gigantic expansion maybe that'll be one of the permanent exhibitions would be nice you've got a good one from brian auger yeah the closer to it brian auger and the oblivion express
safe to say Brian Auger will never get inducted to the Rock Hall. If there was a kind of a funk fusion section, now that would be perfect. You see, Brian is one of the kings of the Hammond B3 organ, and this was his crowning achievement. To show how obscure this album is, it doesn't even have its own Wikipedia page. Neither does the aptly named Oblivion Express, and there's precious little on Brian himself. This record was really released in 1973, and I got my first taste of it the next year when I went away to college. A great cover of Marvin Gaye's Inner City Blues was another highlight, and two songs that Brian actually wrote himself, Happiness is Just Around the Bend, and Whenever You're Ready, our favorites. <laughs> yeah, there's a guy who did some great work. You'll know the Yardbirds, the song For Your Love. He played on that, 1965. Yeah, he played on a lot of people's records, but... Uh... Again, he had a long, long career. Again, he had uh, the Oblivion Express, and he had other bands. Yeah. And uh, he still, he's uh, now, I want to say he's uh, 83 years old, and I still hear his name on tour from now and again. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> now, he also appeared in a few movies, did Brian, and on the TV special, 33rd and a Third Revolutions Per Monkey. That I, I did not realize that, but I, rem- I remember that, yes. Produced for NBC by Jack Good, who created the show Shindig. Okay. So yeah. he produced 33 and a Third Revolutions Per Monkey. They were all on it. And <laughs> Brian Auger is a weird show. I mean, think of Brian Auger and the monkeys. But you couldn't get too uh, extreme. More diverse. You know, yeah. more diverse than that. <laughs> Mine is uh, Al Stewart's uh, Year of the Cats. Still one of my favorite albums and album covers. You know, created by Colin Elgy of Hypnosis. They also designed the album covers for T-Rex, Zeppelin, Bad Company, Styx, Paul McCartney and Wings, many, many more in the 70s. got into the jewel boxes of the CDs and stuff, so sure. album covers weren't nearly as interesting, but like yes, you said, yes. you know, the albums you could just open up and read all about the band, because there wasn't any MTV, and really no way to find out about your favorite groups back and, then. you know, the first day of having an album was generally reading the album cover yeah. itself. <laughs> sure. Now, You're the Cat, still one of my favorites, produced by Alan Parsons. We made a That's case for right. him in yes. the You Should Get In category. These are songs that you'll hear in concert. Al, by the way, is going to be at the Kent stage, which is a nice um, 650 capacity right in there, mm-hmm. uh, close to the Kent uh, campus on uh, you know Main Street down there in Kent. So he's coming on Sunday, August 20th. That sounds perfect yeah, we might just go I mean, <laughs> so you're going to hear these songs every time on the border you're the cat of course sure. flying sorcery which usually begins the show with and midas shadow and many others number five on the billboard top 200 list here number two in denmark and number four in new zealand and al stewart that's one of the best albums you're ever going to hear if you ever get a hold of the album 
then just open it up and, and look inside. The liner notes are you're going to have all the lyrics. That's right. And he tells really good stories, too, doesn't he? He does. So that would be mine. You're the cat, Al Stewart. The follow-up wasn't bad either. Time Passages. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In fact, that was the bigger hit, actually, yeah. I think. Yeah. And Brian Auger's Closer to It. That was yours. Yep. Time for Guilty Pleasures. Frankie, Guilty Pleasures. Mm-hmm. Mine is House at Pooh Corner, written by Kenny Loggins when he was just 17 years old, about his soon-to-be manhood, adulthood, you know, he's pondering the future. And sure. at age 17, he also wrote the hit Danny's Song for his soon-to-be nephew. Didn't that song? And Murray had a bigger hit with that. But uh, in the early 70s, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band put their version of House at Pooh Corner on the radio. Yeah. Yeah, I and think as that's I, the first time I ran into as it. As I said many times, anything about Pooh Bear is fine with me. <laughs> I love Pooh Bear. He's the best. Christopher Robin and I walked along Under branches lit up by the moon Posing our questions to Owl and the our days disappeared all too soon But I wandered much further today than I should And I can't find my way to the three-acre wood So help me if you can I've got to give back to the house at the corner by one You'd be surprised there's so much to be done Count all the bees in the hive Chase all the clouds from the sky Back to the days of Christopher Robin and Uh, first released by the Dirt Band in April of 71 as a follow-up to Mr. Bojangles, which I'm sure right. knows. And only made it to number 53 for them, who did. Um, and you can hear the Loggins and Messina version quite often on maybe The Bridge on Sirius XM, which sure. I listen to a lot. It's from their album of the early 70s called Sittin' In, which also included Danny's song. And then Anne Murray brought it to the top 10, Danny's song, two years later. That's right. So House of Pooh Corner, for me, either version is good. Excellent. What do you have? Well, I've got uh, a song called Lay Down, Candles in the Rain by Melanie with the Edwin Hawkins Singers. So let's get a couple points out of the way. First, yes, Melanie, as my wife never lets me forget, is from Ukrainian descent. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, this is the Melanie behind what is probably the most annoying number one single of all time, Brand new key. Boy, that's that's fingernails on a chalkboard. Exactly. But it was a few years before that she had her the biggest moment of her career. She was backstage at Woodstock on the first night, rain pouring down, when a group by the name of the Incredible String Band refused to go on because of the weather. Now, Ravi Shankar had just finished Arlo Guthrie was coming up, but they needed to kill some time until he was ready. And her Melanie, who said, sure, I'll play, and went out and did a well-received seven-song set. 
suddenly she was a hot commodity. Uh, playing in front of a half a million people will do that. And she wrote this song about what she saw and felt that night. Her record label even got the popular gospel group, the Edwin Hawkins Singers, to back her up. A top ten hit followed and her career was made. I rediscovered this song when we did our Woodstock podcast and even found a knockout version on YouTube. It's a guest appearance she did with full Edwin Hawkins backup on a 1970 variety show in the Netherlands. Huh. The song had gone to number one on the Dutch charts and is a celebration of that moment. She does this um, tune. Check out the audience, the average age, probably 55, skeptical at the beginning, <laughs> and then clapping and singing along by the end. That was my reaction, too, and I urge you to sink out, seek out this fun, guilty pleasure. Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> Melanie Safka, yeah, born in Queens, exactly. New York. So, Frankie, Woodstock helped launch many a career. Joe Cocker, uh, Santana, absolutely. Crosby, Stills, yeah. and Nash were just getting going, and mm -hmm. Melanie... And her song, Lay Down. You know, Edwin Hawkins Singers had that song, Oh Happy Day. Exactly. Which was number four in 1969. That's just one of those songs I love listening to all the time. Sure. They don't play it nearly enough. Lay Down went to number six in 1970, a couple years later, all the way to the top with Brand New Key. Yeah, and I think that might have been the song that ended her career. Yeah. Because you never heard about a Melanie after Brand New oh Key. That's a, a couple of good ones, though. We'll do our, continue our guilty pleasures as we go on through season eight. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. It's time for Frankie Answers Three Questions. Not the three questions like, you know, would you rather eat with your feet or your ears or something like that. It's going to be like there rock and go. roll answers. So I have some tough ones for you here. You certainly do. Let's begin with the first question. Frankie names his best drummer. Uh, best rock drummer for me has always been Carl Palmer of Emerson, Lake and Palmer.
fact, it was Buddy Rich who once said, the only uh, drummer that's worth a damn in, in the rock venue is Carl Palmer. Wow. And I agree totally. That's saying something. I thought he would say, uh, Buddy Rich, I thought he would say Desi Arnaz Jr. Remember the episode <laughs> of the Lucy show? <laughs> no, believe it or not. Uh, he who, who and, wasn't a bad drummer, by the way. And he wasn't bad. He wasn't a bad drummer. And um, <laughs> I do know that, that Buddy hated Ringo Starr. Did he? And quite often mocked him. Um, but I get that. I mean, you know, Ringo was the biggest drummer in the world, and Buddy knew he was ten times better, and yeah. you know, obviously wasn't even making anything near what could have been a little Ringo professional jealousy. But yeah, like I'm Buddy sure Rich it was. wouldn't be, wouldn't have been good fitting the Beatles. No, it would have been awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I go with uh, Carl Palmer, uh, brilliant drummer. He did all the things. He had the huge half-the-stage drum sets and drum solos and everything. Yes. Good choice. Best rock solo artist, male. Okay, this is almost impossible. Uh, First, I have to kick out Bruce because you're thinking, well, what about Mr. Springsteen? Well, I put him with the E Street Band, so I put them as one band. Mm -hmm. I don't put him as a solo artist. After that, well, Jesus, I eliminated Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Prince, Rod Stewart, Michael Jackson, of course, Paul McCartney and Paul Simon's solo stuff, Mm -hmm. Elvis, Mr. Dillon. I eliminated all of them, and who did I come up with? Elton John. Oh, interesting choice. Hello, baby, hello. Haven't seen your face for a while. Have you quit doing time for me? Or are you still the same spoiled child? Hello, I said hello. Is this the only place you thought to go? Am I the only man you ever had? Or am I just the last surviving friend that is? Early 70s, early to mid 70s rock was Elton John. Maybe it's because that's kind of when I came to, to my maturity that I think of him. But boy, when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, he always had you know, a, a song that was going down the charts, a song that was coming up the charts, and then another one you're hearing on FM radio. It was yeah. just constant. It was one after another. Same with his albums, too. It And no. he made some great albums. Madman Across the Water. Fantastic. Uh, Honky Chateau. And, you know, my favorite, probably everybody's favorite from that time period, of course, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Mm-hmm. I mean, just 
one after another. Um, I cannot overemphasize how much he meant to the 70s. He was the 70s. So that's why I got to give him the nod. <laughs> that's a great choice, Frankie. I'm sure he'd like that too. It was tough. It, yeah. As you can tell, it was very tough. I could make a nice uh, argument for any of them. You're the rock expert, and you've seen most of these guys in concert, too. I have seen a lot of them. And that makes a difference, too. Sure, absolutely. Best rock female solo artist. Ooh, another hard one. Uh, Not nearly as hard because, of course, from our our time period, uh, weren't as many rock and roll women. Um, Again, I knock out Chrissy Hind because I count her as the pretenders so it's more of a rock band with her mm-hmm. the voice of the 70s of course was linda ronstadt how could you leave her out but to me she was never enough rock there it was a little bit too middle of the road mm-hmm. for me cover songs and stuff like that great voice though i'll go with the queen of the 80s pat benatar right. <laughs> yeah. i was thinking you were going to say that neat videos she did i mean she was just a terrific and is still today a terrific performer um well worth seeing on the road if you get get a chance and she's playing smaller venues so works out perfect yeah packed a lot of punch into that small frame of hers sure did she's a little tiny thing but boy she can really rock good one so (laughs) for the three we'll have another three next week in our chicago episode Rock releases the week of May 22nd. We talked about Headquarters with the Monkees. That was released in 1967 on this date. A couple years later, Tommy by The Who. Oof, wow.
Initiation, Todd Rundgren, 1975. Another great one. 1980, you want to get your hands on a good album. It's Roxy Music's Flesh and Blood. Yep, that's another one. Diamond Dogs, David Bowie, 1974. Love it. Then he released Lodger five years later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely Free, Mothers of Invention. Were you a Frank Zappa, Mothers of Invention fan? Uh, Not overwhelmingly. Um, A lot of people, uh, especially jazz people, really get into his stuff. I got into maybe an album or two, but... And the Beatles, Sgt. Peppers. Oh, you think you could do something with that? <laughs> Hard to top that. <laughs> Venus and Mars, Wings, the follow-up to Band on the Run. It's a good album. And, and an underrated yeah. album. Not it's, as many hits, but that's okay. It's just a, a good, solid record, yes. CCR with Creedence Clearwater Revival, that was 1968. They would do not one, two, sometimes three albums three in, in a year. year. Yeah. Rod yeah. Stewart's Every Picture Tells a Story, 1971. <laughs> wow, probably his best. <laughs> Peter Frampton's follow-up to Frampton Comes Alive, I'm in You, 1977. Mm-hmm. Talk about underrated songs. Right. Uh, right. That, I'm in You, made the single made it number two. That's right. Uh, Steve Miller, Book of Dreams, 1977. Roxy Music, Avalon, that's another good album, Brian Ferry. Exactly. 1982. And No Fun Allowed by Glenn Fry, 1982. That had the one you love. things like the same time period yeah and you know five years apart or something it must be maybe it has something to do with a record contract i don't know but and alan parsons the same odd. way it seemed like the irobot and um a turn of friendly card mm-hmm. in the fall al stewart's the same way they seem to like that fall sound or somewhere in the summer especially if they had a summertime song on there sure, sure. but maybe it's when they when they get into the recording studio get the right guys working with them yeah that could uh, be get too, off the road yeah. and whatever Featured artist time, Frankie. We're going through our featured artists of the past, and we'll call it this time around Earth, Wind, and Fire 2. Try to resist 
Wind and Fire, the musical genres they expand R&B, soul, funk, disco, jazz, dance, Latin, pop. Am I missing anything? <laughs> <laughs> I think you hit pretty much all of it. The tunes were just fantastic, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And uh, they had uh, Mr. Maurice White, who was uh, early on their kind of guiding star. Yeah. Six Grammy Awards. Mm-hmm. The band members included... Philip Bailey, Larry Dunn, Ralph Johnson, Sonny Emery, Frank Ravel, Ravel, uh, Verdine White, Brother yeah, Maurice. Yes. And he was the bassist. Robert Brookins and many, many others. They've had different guys in the band uh, over the years, haven't right, they? Right, right. They've been around for a long time. Kennedy Center honorees in 2019 and honored a couple of years ago. On that same night, you know, it's, it airs at the end of the year. Kennedy Center Honors. I didn't even realize that they were Kennedy Center honors. Yeah, they that's were really put in there a few years that's ago. That's huge. With Sally Field <laughs> and Linda Ronstadt that year. Wow, okay. So what'd you think of Earth, Wind and Fire in concert? One of one of my favorite concert bands. I did see them three times. All believe it or not, all three times they opened the show uh, for <laughs> Chicago, which is hard to believe. But they uh, back in the day, um, I've heard they put on some really incredible shows in the '70s. And if you have a chance to uh, grab uh, Gratitude, which was mm-hmm. their first live album, it's tremendous. It's a it's a great great record and it's also got a couple of uh, studio hits on there too so yeah um just just a wonderful stuff and kind of reflects that when they were big mm-hmm. really big but to hear them later on in their career uh, the only thing that i missed was I, I never got to see maurice white he he's left the band um he still is their uh kind of guru uh, uh, uh let's call it but he no longer tours with them mm-hmm. and uh but 
Philip Bailey, boy, there are very few voices in rock and roll as distinctive and as wonderful yeah. as Philip Bailey. Yes. You guys might remember Easy Lover with him and sure. Phil Collins in the early sure. 80s. A performance at Kennedy Center in New York City way back in the day caught the attention of one Clive Davis, oh. Columbia Records. You see, they were working with Warner Brothers, and they released their debut album along with vocals by Donny Hathaway oh. in 1971. But Clive kind of bought him out. That's and right. brought him over to Columbia. He also signed, Clive did, guys like Bruce Springsteen and Manilow, Whitney Houston, Chicago, Billy Joel, Aerosmith. list goes on and on. I think he did all right for himself. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think he did. So he kind of bought him out. But the early albums were The Need to Love, Last Days and Time, Head to the Sky. The first one I remember was That's the Way of the World. Oh, what a fantastic record. First number one hit, Shining Star, number one on the soul chart as well. They were on their way, weren't they? That's right. The album Absolutely. Gratitude and Spirit and All in All. Good stuff, right? Yeah, and they were coming out with one every year, and it was going right to the top of the charts. And Maurice White, of course, kind of like Barry Gibb working with other artists. Maurice uh, loved the sound of the emotions and brought sure. them yeah, back with right. their first, uh, their big number one hit, Best of My Love, which took turns at number one with... Uh, the debut album by Andy Gibb, produced by Barry Gibb. You know, oh, I just want to be your everything. They kind of took turns at the number one spot sure. for six or eight weeks there in the summer of 77. That's a good tune. Best of my love. That's a tremendous <laughs> e- Either one. Either one. <laughs> either one. The Eagles or <laughs> the Emotions. <laughs> September, Boogie Wonderland. Uh, you know, Boogie Wonderland on the Caddyshack soundtrack. And sure. What a, that's sure. a fun movie. That's an album. That's a movie I'd love to see whenever it's on. I...
Miles Davis called them Earth, Wind, and Fire his favorite band. Quincy Jones said, "Isn't that something?" Yeah, that's, a, that's Miles Davis. Wow, isn't that something? Quincy wow. Jones said they've been a favorite of his since day one. Uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, two thousand. They've been in for 22, 23 years sure, now. Earth, Wind, and sure. Fire, one of the best ever. They've influenced these current acts: Beyonce, Mary J. Blige, Babyface, Outkast, Justin Timberlake, Melissa Etheridge, Usher, Will I Am, Prince. And dozens more. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, Prince, you, you could hear that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, I remember seeing the show with you and the families, you know, in Vegas. That was fun. It was a lot of we, fun. Uh, we all kind of squeezed in there, weren't we? Yeah, we just happened to pick our trip to Vegas when Chicago and Earth, Wind, and Fire were there. Yep. And wow, that was a really fun night. And if you've ever been to Vegas, you don't want to spend too much time in the in the. the the strip on the strip, uh, three four days long weekend. You get there Thursday, you leave Sunday. That's about all I can. Right, handle. that's about all I can handle too. It's all my bank book can handle. Yeah, <laughs> and and not a great. It's a, a a great time, but not during Final Four or the big weekends, the Super Bowl sure, weekends. Some other sure. time. And we went in. When was it? June or July or yeah, something I like that. Yeah, I think it was midsummer. We had the trip booked, and you said, "By the way, Earth, Wind, and Fire slash Chicago will be at Paris. Did you want to see it?" Oh yeah! Everybody jumped on that <laughs> one, and we all went. Oh, that was fun, wasn't it? That was. I looked back and I saw my, my son and my my, my son in law and my daughter kind of snoozing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know how you could have snoozed uh, during it, that it concert. It was pretty loud. It was a very loud concert, and it was long too. So I can see them kind of drifting off and wanting to get to the gambling table. So it was a Friday <laughs> night, by, by you know, by the way. It was, yeah. In fact, that was my first experience with the stripper blackjack. That's right. That we ran into yeah, on at, the way out at, at Paris. Yes, yep, uh, on the way out. So that was a, a, real, a really good show. Um, them to get those two together, and they and they sing together too. Earth, Wind, and Fire in Chicago. Yes, they, they do, do. A, a couple of uh, times they appear on stage. They together. do. A, they do a full set each, and then come back as the, for the encores. They they do it together, and it's wonderful. Right up there with Stevie Wonder for you, and say. Um, Smokey Robinson, the Miracles, as far as uh, R&B groups, right oh, up there at the top. absolutely, yeah, right up there at the top. Yeah, I me mean, too. It, it, as, far, as far as enjoyment that they've given me over the years, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, different than Tower of Power or um, the stylistic, somebody who uh, didn't quite last as long, Earth, Wind, and Fire has been around forever, haven't they? They sure have, and uh, they they bring it every night. If you see them in con- you get a chance to see them in concert, uh, do it. Do it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And well, it doesn't matter where. they're still on the road, yep, do it. And you don't have to go all the way out to Vegas unless no, you want to. You absolutely. Blossom or whatever. <laughs> the, big, the bigger venues, not the smaller ones, but they'll still hit the bigger venues. Right. Not all the time. Next week, Chicago, part two. That was our very first episode. It was. Be- wow. Began our podcast uh, during COVID because we were both kind of bored, weren't yeah, we? Exactly. <laughs> nothing to do. We were just coming out of the lockdowns and stuff and I said, Frankie, why don't we do a podcast? Because whenever we get together, we bore everybody else by talking about rock and roll. Talking about music, yeah. Yeah. And you have a much better, broader, different perspective than I do. Because I came from the Wixie and the hit-oriented type of thing. Sure. But I've kind of expanded my range. Oh, absolutely. Radio stations, especially easy listening and speed jazz and stuff. Um, But it was fun working on the podcast all these years. And I'm looking forward to talking about Chicago next week. Sounds great. We'll see you then. Thanks, Frankie. Okay, thank you. This is Tim Friedman on Tim Friedman. 70s Rock Conversations. We'll see you next time.